0: Come on this journey with me. Each week when you join me, we are going to chase down our goals, overcome adversity, and set you up for a better tomorrow.
1: I'm ready for my close-up. I'm
0: so excited you're back here with me. Thank you for making it this week. And you are going To flip about this episode, I am so grateful to everyone at Hypergrowth for giving me the opportunity to share this interview with you. It is the interview of a lifetime, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. Can't wait to hear what you think. And I'm going to cut right to it because you're going to be blown away by Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, and her husband, Jesse Itzler, serial entrepreneur. And unbelievable guy. And I'm so grateful I got the opportunity to interview both of them. If you did not catch Hypergrowth in Boston, you've got to catch Hypergrowth in San Francisco. It's an amazing event where you get to meet thought leaders. And I got the opportunity to interview Sarah and Jesse live on stage. And now you get the chance to hear it. Can't wait to hear what you think. Sarah and Jesse. And as was just mentioned, you guys have had a lot going on in the last week.
2: Yes, that's definitely true. It' not much sleep, not a lot of sleep. In
0: case some of the people here don't follow you on Instagram, can you kind of break down what Last Man Standing was all about?
1: Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I just—that's the reason why I'm wearing flip flops. I just got back from a race called The Last Man Standing. You guys hear me? Okay. Cool. Okay feel so like an operator uh, and the format of the race is you run a 4.2 mile loop, you have an hour to do it and if you finish earlier you can rest, finish in 15 minutes, you have a 10 minute rest and then they line you up again at the top of the hour and you do it again and you keep going until one person is left so my wife, it was in Maine and when I, when I yeah well, when I googled it it said that there were, there was moderate elevation, yeah if you live in Maine <laughs> It was crazy terrain. So I ended up, uh, I just got back. We, we, I did 20 hours, 80 miles, and I came in fifth. I think that deserves a round of applause. And my wife was the last wife standing.
2: Yes, I, I win last wife standing. Yes. I didn't sleep for 35 hours. So I was supporting him. And it's really challenging. I, I said at one point I had a breakdown, I think at like four in the morning, where I just started crying because it's I said marriage is hard when you have to really support each other's dreams, and especially if you have to watch the person you love suffer. and yeah. um, Jesse had a pep talk with me before, it, and he said, "No matter what, tell me I look good, tell me I look strong, don't pull me out of the race, don't tell me that you're worried about me so but I, I didn't uh, say to
1: say it like this, ooh, you look you look good <laughs> That's true. Just- <laughs>
2: that's true but it, it was really a wild experience of just human spirit you know what we all have inside of us that grit and determination and there were 112 of really intensely impressive ultra runners there and wow I was just blown away by by mindset really because I asked Jesse after this. I mean, Jesse's 51. So I said, honey, even though you didn't get the last man standing, you definitely won the oldest man standing. <laughs> because he was 10 to 20 years older than every other racer in this race. And um, yeah, so... And so I said to him, I, I was so curious because I knew mindset. I'm a huge believer in mindset. And I said... What was your mindset and what were you thinking during the race? And he looked at me with laser focus after it and he said, I was saying repeatedly to myself, I push my body and my body responds. And boy, did it ever. I mean, because his knees, his ankles, I mean, the rest of his body really, I mean, was shutting down, but, um, but his mindset was there and that, that pushed him. I would say, I mean, at mile 47, I thought you were, done. I love you, but I really did. I was like so worried. And then like, you know, you just can't, you can't ever doubt the mindset. If yeah. like the mindset of the person's in the right place, then they, they just go way beyond what you expect. What's
1: interesting about this race is, you know, you, you can get lost in how long it's going to be or how lo- what the distance is. And it's like anything you're doing in your entrepreneurial journey or any challenge, any goal, it's really just being laser focused on what's happening right now. What's the most important thing and not getting, not patting yourself on your back for all your achievements. Like, oh, I got to mile 25 or whatever. And not thinking about how far you want to go. It was literally just saying super present. And I always say, be where your feet are. And right here, I'm in this loop. I'm in this loop right now. Let me get back to the, to the chair, get my little rest and go on the next loop. Right now, this is my job to get to the loop. And that was the focus. Wow, it's very, very impressive. And if any
2: of you guys want to be super entertained and inspired, it's on my Instagram page, at Sarah Blakely, and it's in one of those, you know, I put it in a permanent circle in the bar below the descriptor of my name, and it's called The Last Man Standing. And it's really, it is very yeah.
0: inspiring. You have to check it out. It, it, her Insta stories are r- really funny. <laughs> so Sarah... You mentioned mindset and the importance and effect that mindset has, not only for Jesse, but you know, people look at you and your company today and they think you're enormously successful, and it was probably always that way. However, you were a salesperson at one point in time and had a very different life. Do you attribute the the things that have happened in your life to mindset, or what do you attribute? That success too?
2: Yeah, definitely mindset. I mean, I sold fax machines door to door for seven years after graduating from college. And I, for 20 years, Spanx is going to be 20, I started it in the year 2000. And the soundbite in the media has been Sarah cut the feet out of pantyhose and solved an undergarment issue, and you know now Spanx is here. And and while that is true, there was so much more about the behind the scenes of why this happened. And people have asked me, can I have ten minutes, fifteen minutes of your time? I want to pick your brain on how Spanx started. Mm-hmm. But that real answer is it started way before I cut the feet out of my pantyhose, and it. It, it started when I was much younger, and um, I had a series of kind of tragic events happen to me when I was in high school, and it led me to uh, Wayne Dyer, who is a motivational, inspirational speaker. He passed away about two years ago, but I got exposed to him, and I listened to his cassette tapes over and over and over again, to the point that I had his one series called How to Be a No Limit Person memorized all 10 cassette tapes front and back and
1: try living with that
2: (laughs) (laughs) well yeah that's funny because in high school no one wanted to get stuck in my car like after a party they're like she's gonna make you listen to this shit and so um but then you know i said i said i think i would take simple
1: things like i'm just gonna do the laundry tomorrow and she'd be like Do you know the ramifications of waiting till tomorrow?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but then fast forward, you know, I think it was 10 to 15 years after high school that um, I ended up on the cover of Forbes. And the texts I got in my Um, phone were so funny. I mean, literally all my friends were like, damn, should have listened to that shit. (laughs) So... (laughs) So but I'm a big believer in it. I learned early on about manifesting law of attraction, not caring what other people think about you, which is a really big one for an entrepreneur or, you know, in life, really. And I'm a work in progress on that. There are times where I do care and I check myself and say, you know, let's let's work on this. But it's very freeing to not care what other people think. You'll take more risks. Um, to not really focus on the outcome and be so afraid to fail. So all of that is a big part of my journey and thanks for sure. So I think mindset is, I work on it daily. We all need to. I need to get those cassettes.
0: <laughs> Jesse, you didn't start out an MTV rapper. You didn't start out owning an NBA team. You were sleeping on couches for quite a while, which people probably find hard to believe. Do you attribute your success to mindset or what do you attribute it to?
1: Well, I definitely have my own version of mindset. When I have a goal, I like to say that's the end of the movie. I go to the end of the movie first, where I want the outcome to be. And that's unwavering. I don't negotiate that. I I don't try not to ever negotiate my goals. The script changes. The plot changes. How you get there, you have all kinds of obstacles. But the end of the movie really never changes for me. So that's my form of visualization and, and how I kind of attack it.
0: Sarah, you mentioned that you didn't share your invention with anyone for that first year. Mm-hmm. Why would you take that approach instead of enlisting others to help you or support you through that?
2: That really came from a gut feeling. I really honor my gut and intuition a lot and still do through the journey that I'm on. But when I cut the feet out of my pantyhose and started Spanx... Um, I had actually asked for the idea two years prior. So I was selling fax machines. I had one really bad day. I'd been kicked out of an office again. I mean, I got usually business cards ripped up in my face about <laughs> once or twice a week. Um, I got escorted out of buildings all the time. And this day was just hard. I mean, I'm seven years into 100% cold calling <laughs> to sell people a fax machine. And I pulled over and I said, I'm in the wrong movie. How did this happen? Call the director, call the producer. This is not my life. Like I'm redirecting my life. And I went home and I wrote down a list of what I'm good at in in the positive column and strengths. And I saw sales and I thought, okay, well, what is it about sales that I'm good at? And it led me to the fact that I like to offer people things that they may not know they need and then really makes a difference for them. And I wrote down in my journal that night, I'm going to invent a product that I can sell to millions of people that will make them feel good. And then I looked up in in the air in my apartment and I said, I'm ready for the idea. If you give it to me, I won't squander it. And two years later, I cut the feet out of control top pantyhose one night to wear white pants to a party and not have a panty line or anything show because, guys, you're out there in the audience. I don't know how many of you struggle with what to wear under white pants, (laughs) but it's a legit (laughs) problem that we have. And so I cut the feet out of my pantyhose one time and I thought this could be the idea because I had already set the intention for the idea to show up. So as soon as I started on the path of it, I thought, okay, I don't want to tell anybody my idea because I feel that ideas are the most vulnerable in the moment that you have them. And it is our human nature that the minute we have an idea, we tell our friend, our coworker, our wife, our husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, and in those moments out of love and care and all the right intentions half the time, the person might say something that completely squashes it or makes you not pursue it. So I didn't want to tell my friend family and friends, and I have very supportive family and friends, but I didn't want ego to have to get involved too early on in the process. I wanted to spend my time pursuing it and not defending it. So at night and on the weekends for two years I would sell fax machines during the day and then at night I would stay up and I would was working on the patent and I was you know doing all my research and driving um, taking vacation days to drive to North Carolina where the manufacturing plants were and begging them to help make the first prototype. But that is really why. And I have to say, I mean, everybody in their life has a million dollar, even a billion dollar idea. I mean, we we do. They comment- I haven't had mine yet. Well, <laughs> well, you do. And I feel like recognizing it is a big one. And then also holding it sacred for me. And I'm glad I did because I, I sat my family down a year later and all they knew was Sarah's working on some crazy idea. And a year later, I sat him down and I said, OK, guys, are you ready? It's footless <laughs> pantyhose. <laughs> And I mean, they were like, so sweetie, if it's such a good idea, why hasn't anybody else created it? And then someone else in my family was like, well, honey, you know, and even if this is a good idea, the big guys are just going to knock you off in the first six months and you will have spent your savings on this. And if I had heard those things in the moment that I had it, I probably would still be selling fax machines or something like it. So I really believe that. I I believe that you got to... You've got to really protect it. Now, it didn't mean I didn't tell people that would help me pursue it. I was telling lawyers, having them help me try to write the patent. I was cold calling manufacturers and talking to them. I just didn't seek out people simply for validation until I knew I'd put enough of my own sweat equity into this idea that no matter what the validation came back as, I wouldn't waver.
0: That was a tweetable moment for me. I'm going to spend my time and energy pursuing it, not defending it. I Mm -hmm. think that's really powerful. Do you see ideas the same way that they need to be nurtured and protected? Or were you more, I mean, because you created a lot of different companies and concepts over your career and life. Did you bring people in earlier on or did you take that same approach?
1: Well, I have to agree with everything. We're married. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, I agree. No, I think one of the most important things as an entrepreneur, I found, is figuring out how to get from point A to point B the fastest. And if that is telling someone or if that, in my case, maybe it was getting a key investor, getting a celebrity as part of Zico or one of our brands, whether it was a key partnership, I think that's a criti- that's been a critical part of my journey because when I started out, I did sleep on 18 different couches. The one thing I needed that we all need is we need a story. We need momentum. People buy into stories and momentum more than they buy into products. Like We're the business plan. And When I started out, I started out in the music business. I had a record out on a label called Delicious Vinyl. And right when my album came out, I I did uh, Club MTV, which is a big show on MTV at the time. I was 21 years old. And I thought like, wow, man, mom, I made it. I'm on MTV. This is unbelievable. And I did my first show in Pittsburgh. And I got off the airplane in Pittsburgh. And when I got off the airplane, there was a huge newsstand. And on the cover of this big magazine called Rap Pages at the time was my picture. And I'm like, Holy shit! I'm on the cover of Rap Pages, and I'm like, I'm like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> that was like, doing on Forbes, Cosera, like I'm on Rap Pages, and I go yeah. and I get the magazine, and the cover of the magazine with my picture on it was, "Are white rappers ruining hip hop?" <laughs> <laughs> that was. I've not bes-
2: heard this story. Why would
1: I tell you what they married me? <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm kidding. So so I needed a story. I needed a story. So for me, at that age, you know, it wasn't about when I had an idea of telling people. It was about getting momentum. And I went to the New York Knicks with an idea to do a theme song for the Knicks. I was 22 years old. And I said, you know, sports is changing. People sit in in seats for three hours in in an arena. But the game is only 48 minutes. So you have to entertain them for... Over two hours, let's do a song and a video, and we'll get all the celebrities in New York. The song was called "Go New York, Go," and the Knicks paid me four thousand dollars for the song. And by the time I paid the studio, the engineer, the singer, the producer, the drummer, it cost me forty-eight hundred dollars to do the song. <laughs> so is that a good business model? No. Right? They paid me four thousand. They paid me four thousand. It cost me forty-eight hundred dollars. Do you guys think that's a good business model? Wrong. That's an amazing business model because I would have paid the Knicks right. <laughs> I would have paid the Knicks $5,000 to do the song for them to help me get to point B faster because now I had a story and I could call up the Bulls and be like, I did the Knicks song and every team that came into Madison Square Garden was like, why don't we have a song like that and that was what really jump started my career so for me, it's like how do you get from A to B the fastest
0: and then you wrote and produced a song for the NBA that actually won an Emmy I did And then you created a company, another company out of this concept, right? So it actually was a good business model losing (laughs) $5,000.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we we figured out the business model after that. (laughs) It wasn't sustainable. But it, it got me in the door and it got me momentum. And, you know, I always tell people that ask me if they're stuck, if they're overwhelmed, small wins. Just, you know, even in this race I just ran, were, we all go through this period in any part of our journey where we're overwhelmed with self-doubt. Anybody, no matter what you're doing, even as a parent, as an entrepreneur, as a marketer, someone's bad, be- I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes, whatever. We go through this period of self-doubt. I had it in my race. I started off, I was like, I could run four miles. And once you get momentum and you start to believe and you can you can have something that you can build on, that's super powerful.
2: I mean, you've got to create
1: your own hype. Small wins. For sure.
0: Are you tired of the stress and chaos of live launching? Who isn't, right? But if you've tried going evergreen, you know that's not the solution either. Hello, low conversions. So what's the answer? The Circuit Sales System is designed to make sales for you every single day while giving your audience all the excitement of live launching without you ever ever having to live launch again what would increasing your current yearly revenue by 40 times look like for you okay nobody's making any income guarantees here but that's exactly what nikki did for her business when she developed her circuit sales system the circuit sales system is the automated system that combines the best of both live launching and evergreen with none of the worst think high conversions and high predictability without the chaos or risk. Get the free on-demand video training at circuitsalessystem.com confidence. Get the free on-demand video training at circuitsalessystem.com confidence. cbdistillery.com is giving you an exclusive offer and it's huge right now. You can get up to 30% off everything
2: For the first four years of Spanx, I wore a black t-shirt with SPANX ironed onto it that I went to one of those t-shirt shops and took a white letter and ironed on Spanx and cream pants, but I was the advertisement. So I wore that everywhere I went. And then when I got a chance to sell it in Neiman Marcus... I would bring my friends to the store to act like excited customers. And they would stand around my display table and go, oh, every time, we'd like cue it. We'd be like, customer coming. And this like really fancy lady, you know, perfectly dressed would be walking up and my friends would all go, tell me more. What is this? I can't believe I'm just finding out about this. And it would always cause the customer to go, what, you know, what's happening? And and then I'd be like, yes, I get an opportunity to explain it to her.
0: <laughs> I love that you brought that story up. Would you mind sharing that story of how you sold it into Neiman Marcus? Because I love that is such a great face-to-face, and it, it just pulls on that
2: past track record that you had with the cold calling and how it paid off for you. Neiman Marcus was my first account. And two things about that that are, are just something that I reflect back on. One is everybody in the industry, after I landed Neiman's, came up to me and said how in the world did you land Neiman Marcus? And I would look at them and I'd say, I called them. What do you do? (laughs) And they'd say, oh my God, we go to trade shows and we set up a booth and we've been doing it for seven years. And everybody says around year six or seven that you get a chance with Neiman's. I didn't even know there were trade shows. So I often say what you don't know can be your greatest asset if you let it, if you're not intimidated by the self-talk of, I have no idea what I'm doing, and that shuts you down. So if you can power through the, I have no idea what I'm doing, and actually see it as a positive and go, that means I'm going to do it different. And that's where you break real ground. Um, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of willingness to look stupid and potentially fall on your face. But that's where the magic is. So anyway, I land, I got a chance to go and cold call Neiman Marcus. I flew on a plane from Atlanta, where I live, to Dallas. And I met with the buyer, and she was impeccably dressed. I'm in the intimidating Neiman's headquarters. I had my lucky red backpack from college. <laughs> I had the prototype in a Ziploc bag from my kitchen and a color copy of the packaging that I had created on my friend's computer. (laughs) And halfway through my pitch, I was telling her what it is, and I could tell I was losing her. You know, after seven years of cold calling and trying to sell things to people, you get really good at reading nonverbals. And I always say nonverbals tell you way more than the verbal. You know, when people sit there and shake their head and say, I love it, and I'll call you tomorrow, you're like, oh, my God, Mayday. You know, that's when you pull the shoe and say, I've got to, like, try everything. And so she was kind of doing that. She was like, "Mm, okay, thanks. And I just stopped and said, you know what, Diane, will you come to the bathroom with me? (laughs) And she literally was like excuse me I'm like I know it's a little weird but um can you just follow me to the bathroom and I'm going to actually show you what my product can do I'm going to go in the stall and she was like oh okay and she walked down the hall and I went in the stall and I put it on under my white pants and I came out so I showed her before and then I showed her with the product on and she just sat there and she goes I get it it's brilliant and I'm going to try it in seven stores and I was like that deserves a round of applause
0: <laughs> I love that story thank <laughs> yeah. So you guys talk a lot about humor and embarrassing yourself, poking fun at yourselves Mm -hmm. in in business and in life and and have a lot of fun with that. And we mentioned specifically on Instagram, can you talk a little bit about what that looks like?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just think we both, you know, don't take ourselves super seriously. And humor works. Humor's fun. I think one thing we've both had in our entrepreneurial journey is we've had fun. And I think a lot of people forget how fun it can be. And, you know, and we work on making it fun. We try to do fun things, incorporate fun things into our household, with our kids, with our cultures, at our companies. And it's an important part of the process.
2: I mean, I would say to add to that, I I recognize that the two biggest fears that we all have as human beings are basically the fear of public speaking and the fear of being embarrassed. And so I want that to lose its power over me. So I will intentionally embarrass myself or I will intentionally find scenarios where I'm not good at something. And then uh, I, I go through it. And it usually ends up making me laugh <laughs> or if something ridiculous happens to me, I immediately want to share it with people because then I start to find that it loses its power over me. And then you also find that when these things happen, if you can make somebody else laugh or smile, then it was, wasn't was all <laughs> in vain. And that's where real human vulnerability and connection happens, especially even with your customers. So I learned that from selling fax machines. I mean, anytime I tried to act perfect or put on the perfect pitch, I got kicked out time and time again. You know, if I walked in and was like, look, I'm nervous. It's hard for me to walk through your door. I'm sorry. I know there's no soliciting sign. I mean, I would get farther with that. But just calling out the humanness and the real of what we're all dealing with and not being afraid of it. So we do that at Spanx too. We have oops meetings at Spanx where we have the whole company get together and we stand up and we share what we failed at or an oops or a mistake that we made and everybody claps and... It's just like diffuses it. That's such a great culture. I, I
0: believe we actually may have a video or two that we can share. I happen to be a, a huge fan of this one bird video. <laughs> if we could cue this video up, the Instagram oh, yeah, stories. The, Lovely.
2: Is, yeah. Oh great. Okay. I just did good morning, America with my so dress and backwards. Like my I didn't know <laughs>
1: Oh my God! I was, why I was like. So
2: like <laughs> <little> <laughs> I see him. I see him looking at me. My husband has been running every day on this <laughs> island, and says a bird attacks him. So I'm on the walk with him where his jog got this because I don't believe him. Well, honey, where, how bad can it be? Come on. How are you going to get past this walking spot? Nothing's attacking me. He's fine. I see him and he's fine. The
1: bird's there. He's not going to bother you, Jess. Oh, 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 oh. That bird, that bird. No, Heather, that bird is not raised properly. That bird was ridiculed as a kid.
0: I've got to tell you, I, I'm so happy that you shared that video. I had shown it to my son after I'd gone to interview you, and I said, you know, Jesse's such a great guy, and I was showing it to my son. He said, Mom, I thought he was a really strong kind of guy until right now.
1: I, would, I ran the same route every day, and I would come home, and Sarah would say, how was the run? I was like, the run was great, but I got attacked by a bird every time. And she's like, it's impossible. I said, no, you gotta come with me. And she walked by, and the bird didn't care. I walked by, and the bird went bonkers.
2: It was very personal, obviously, for the bird with Jesse. I don't know. I Maybe they... I thought your hair was a nest, honey. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Sarah, you actually spent some time doing stand-up comedy. Were you petrified to do that? Because now it seems natural. I feel like you could just grab a mic and walk around and do it.
2: I was so petrified. I I I did it when I was selling fax machines door to door. And I have this thing where if something terrifies me or if I think I would never do that. And, and the answer is because I'm scared. It kind of becomes something I really want to try to do. And that was one of those things. And um, I just did open mic mostly around. I did it around the country for two years while I was a trainer for the company that I worked for. But um, it was terrifying. I mean, I was so nervous. And I wasn't that good, so.
0: It sounds like the hardest job in the world.
2: It's the hardest. Well, it's, I mean, it's taking the number one fear in America, which is public speaking, to the next level. Because you can be in front of an audience and be bombing and not really know, you know, like, the whole back section could be asleep or on their phone and you still ramble on. But if you're doing stand-up comedy, I mean, you get validation or you get crickets every 15 seconds, so it's like the most immediate, like, you're failing, you're not failing. You're failing, you're not failing. And the only way to test it is in front of an audience. So you have to be so willing to bomb in front of a group of people. or So to, please laugh at our jokes. Yeah, people. exactly. Or to learn what's <laughs> funny or not funny. So... But you know what? I didn't know it at the time. This combination... See, I wanted to be a lawyer, but I'm a terrible test taker. I'm not good in... Like, I have trouble with reading comprehension. So I'm sure I have some sort of undiagnosed learning disability. Um, but anyway, the, so I I was did debate all through high school and college. And then I get to the LSAT and I bombed it. Not once, but twice. So it derailed my whole vision of being a lawyer. And that was really depressing at the time. And then I... I naturally then went to Disney World and tried out to be goofy. And you have to be you have to be five eight in order to be goofy and I'm only five six. So I'm the height of a chipmunk. So like this was rock bottom for me. I mean, my family, everyone's like, what's happening? I said, I, I'm too short to be goofy and I don't want to be a chipmunk. And so I just started selling fax machines door to door because it's really, I mean, you needed a pulse to be hired there. And um, so anyway, but the stand-up comedy I, I did, but life has a weird way of giving you these experiences because when I started Spanx, the combination of the amount of rejection I had had was perfect to start a company because I was told no every day for two years. The idea is no good. No, thank you. We don't want to help you. We think this is stupid, whatever. And it didn't really phase me. And then the writing comedy for two years while I was doing that helped me do all the writing for Spanx and the marketing. And Spanx didn't advertise for 16 years. We became a household name and a household brand around the world without ever advertising. And I believe we did so much of that through humor and through the connection that we had with our customer and storytelling. Jesse mentioned it, lead with story. Your customers are so much more interested in why than they will ever be interested in what. What you're selling, why you're selling it, why you're doing it, who are you in the world, what matters, what's your why. That is what people really respond to. so, um, and to if you can do it and make somebody laugh or smile, it's so much better. I mean, you then you have a chance of them telling five other people, which is what happened with Spanx. You know, it became a word of mouth brand.
0: Jesse, did you have that same experience that Sarah had getting into stand-up comedy, being afraid of it when you became a rapper? Was it that same, you know, we were petrified at it? Or <laughs> did you gravitate
1: towards it? Well, the first, right when I got signed to my record label, Delicious Vinyl, they had two huge acts at the time. One was a guy named Tone Lokes. I mean, you might not remember Tone Loke. (laughs) Yeah, Wild Thing, Funky, Cole Medina. The other was a guy named Young MC who won a Grammy for his song called Bust a Move. And I was one of the next artists signed to the label. So before my album even came out, I got a call from the owner. Wait,
2: Jesse was best known for two songs, Shake (laughs) It Like a White Girl and College Girls Are Easy. Please Google it. Please Google
1: (laughs) it. Right. So so I get a college. Which, which,
2: which I had a lot of fun telling my dad. You know, I was oh like, Dad, God. dad, I think I met the one. He's like, that's nice, honey. What does he do? I'm
1: like, okay.
2: he's a rapper. Best known for shake it like a white girl, and college girls are easy.
1: People buy into, it people like- buy into stories. <laughs> this is all part of the plan. <laughs> Anyway, before my album came out, I got a call from the owner of the record company who said that they're having this huge concert in Atlanta where we live now at the Georgia Dome. And they were busting in 36,000 inner city kids from all over the state of Georgia for this concert that they coined the Increase the Peace Concert. Because they were going to have black artists and white artists come together in this community bonding event. And the day before the concert, Vanilla Ice canceled and they needed a white rapper. So they volunteered me to be the white act. So I get to the venue and as soon as I get there, I meet, I recognize immediately like the place is unruly. There's fist fights going on. They're putting the house lights on and police are everywhere. And the kids are booing every single act that came on stage. They booed them off stage. So the first guy up was like LL Cool J in his prime and they boo LL Cool J off the stage. I'm sitting over here in the green room about to go on next to sing my song called Shake It Like a White Girl. <laughs> so I called my mother. And I said, Mom, I got a really big problem, man. They're booing LL. And she was like, sweetie, just be yourself. They're going to love you. <laughs> and I get up on stage, and the NC's is like, you know, all the way from California. Give it up for my man, Jesse James, which is my stage name. Do not Google it. <laughs> and as I'm going on stage, the record company gave me some T-shirts, like promotional T-shirts. So I grab them. And as I come on stage, I'm like, I'm looking at the kids in the front row and they're pissed off that I'm even invited to the venue, but I have these t-shirts. So I'm like, does this section over here want some free t-shirts? And the kids go crazy. I threw them out. I'm like, this section over here to my right you want some t-shirts? They went nuts. I threw them out. I'm like, middle section? You want some t-shirts back there? They went bonkers. I threw them out. I said, thank you very much. Salt and pepper's up next. I got the fuck out of there, man. That's Never let them boo you never let him boo you it's like the first rule I got in business no I'm not doing stand up
0: how animated is this man oh my gosh I can't take it okay so Sarah after you had made it you made a very shocking decision in my opinion to really put yourself out there and go on Richard Branson's reality TV show
2: why did
0: you make that decision
2: you know, I read his book in college, um, and I really thought he was, seemed like such an interesting guy that I would like to know. And so I, that was the start of it. And when he, uh, declared that he was doing his own version of The Apprentice, his own reality show, I just, Thought this was a great opportunity to meet him, and he started Virgin overseas in London. He's just a really colorful, fascinating, adventurous guy. Yeah. So Spanx was four years old at the time, and my lawyers literally begged me not to do it. They're like, "Why would you ever do a reality show? You're the face of this brand, and you're putting your reputation over to Fox, and you have no idea what they're gonna, how they're going to edit you or what they're going to do." And I just, I just had confidence that Richard, from what I'd read about him, wouldn't, wouldn't be a part of something that would, wouldn't edit me the way that I am. But I got a 27-page contract before I did this. And it was the most insane contract. It literally said, we can burn you, we can submerge you underwater, we can drop you in political unrest. I mean, it was like insane. So my dad is a lawyer and I emailed it to my dad and I said dad I'm thinking about doing this reality show can you help me edit the contract and all he wrote back was no sane person would sign this love dad. (laughs) (laughs) And I signed it and I went and I... Which is a great
1: influence on our kids. (laughs)
2: Yeah, we have not let the kids see the video footage, but it was two months of the most intense stuff. What they didn't tell me, but I should have figured out and put the two and two together from the contract was that if you lost the business challenge, each business challenge took place in a different city around the world. So instead of every challenge being in New York City, one was in Hong Kong, one was in Africa, one was in Tokyo. So it was wild. We were traveling all around the world. But if you didn't win the business challenge, instead of going to a boardroom and just being fired, you had to do a world record-breaking, death-defying stunt with Richard. And two days into filming, I literally was in Atlanta in the Starbucks line like the day before. And then the next day, I'm in England, and they woke me up at three in the morning and handed me a helmet. And I said, I'm an entrepreneur. Why do I need a helmet? (laughs) And I had to scale the side of a hot air balloon at 10,000 feet in the air and have tea on top of the hot air balloon with Richard.
0: And you're afraid of
2: heights. And I'm so afraid of heights. Like, I cry on planes. I cry during takeoff. I don't like heights. Yeah. So that was crazy. And that was the first day of filming. But Jesse can't even watch it. Jesse's watched, like, half of the the, first episode. The stunts got
1: so ridiculous. It was like, Sarah climb the scale to the top of the building and jump in this glass of water you know <laughs> and then when you're in the we're gonna throw you in with the sharks and then you swim around and come up I was like what
0: this is crazy so you guys weren't married back then no, no. He, he
2: didn't know me that no.
0: was it worth it now when you look back are you glad that you did that
2: I'm so glad I did it I mean I think that I, I, I don't think I would have done the challenges if I was a mother at the time but sure. I wasn't I was single and
1: <laughs> definitely not
2: yeah <laughs> But yes, I'm so happy I did. I mean, Richard's actually a great friend. I'm actually going to Switzerland this Friday with Richard and about 35 entrepreneurs from around the world. And we're doing a physical challenge through the Swiss Alps to raise money for education. Wow. And I'm not like my husband. I'm not this physical, you know, challenge person, but I had had too much tequila when Richard asked me if I wanted to go. And I said, <laughs> yes. And so now I'm going. I hate it when that. Slightly terrified, but um, we're going to swim, bike, and hike through Switzerland. And it starts with a glacier lake swim in a full body wetsuit.
0: Well, just in case you guys haven't can't picture this or haven't seen this show, we brought you a clip oh you you have a clip which
2: clip is it is it it the balloon can
1: you cue the next challenge is that we're going to go up into the top of the balloon something i've never done it's not going to be easy at all on the top of the balloon we're going to have a tea party and have a discussion
2: being hoisted out on the ladder suspended at ten thousand feet on the side of a hot air balloon is terrifying i am so scared Cheers! Cheers! cheers. Cheer, cheers. 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 Woo. That is, I'm
1: in a full sweat. I'm in a full sweat. I don't. I don't. Did you just watch? It. I'd rather run for 20 hours.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was so intense. There were so many things about that, but it took me 48 minutes to climb. It was a dangling rope ladder, so there was nothing anchoring it. So I spent the first 25 minutes of the climb just flailing around in the air. And then the last 20 minutes, I kept saying, just get to the balloon, get to the balloon. But once I got to the balloon, the balloon was hot. And the rope was very taut against the balloon. So I had nowhere to put my fingers anymore around the rungs of the ladder. So I'd use my fingertips. And then once I did the little tea thing and was like, woo, that was great. I started bawling because I realized I had to climb down. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I was like, wait, how do we get down? So we had to go back down the ladder. It sounds horrific. Yeah, no, but Thank it was, God you're here. Listen, I'm here, and what an experience.
0: Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have, the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, borrowing... Everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Monahan now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Monahan. No matter what stage you're at, they're going to make it easy. So, Jesse, you have an online community, Build Your Life Resume community, which is really amazing. Check it out if you guys haven't seen it. All right, we got some peeps here.
1: Yay. Yay. Awesome. <laughs>
0: So guys. some of the feedback, Jesse, that really pops out at me, the things that people like the takeaway is the brownie, the, you know, what is your unique brownie? Can you share what that means and, and how you develop that?
1: It's just a reference to a story when I was in college, I took, I was a Crossroads my senior year of college. I was either going to the music business, which I loved, or I was going to sell a product called Aunt Franny's Brownies. I had a roommate in college <laughs> that had an Aunt Franny and every month she sent us a shipment of brownies and... I don't know what she put in the brownies, but they made everybody happy. <laughs> it's like, like, I can market these. Like, this is going to work. So for from, from my advertising class senior year, we had to create a fictitious brand from scratch. Soup, soup to nuts, like, you know, Jingle, which I was good at. Billboard, slogan, packaging, everything. So I said, I'll use this advertising class as my R&D department. And if they like my Aunt Franny's brownies presentation, I'll just roll it out and I'll sell brownies. So the way that the final exam was set up, there were 100 kids in the classroom. It was it was small. And everybody had a hand in their campaign, but five people were going to get picked at random to present a 30-minute state of the union of the business they were going into, the industry they were going into, in front of the class. So, like, I'm a senior in college. There's a 5% chance that I wanted to get picked. Like, nobody prepared for the oral presentation. (laughs) You didn't want to get picked. And sitting to my right in the classroom was a guy named Ronnie Cohn. Ronnie Cohn was a professional jackass. No, no. Ronnie Cohn bullied half of the class for four years of college. So when the professor said we're gonna do this the democratic way, everyone write down your name and I'll put take off my hat and I'll pick out the name. When he came to me, I took twenty-five pieces of paper and I wrote Ronnie Cohn's name down and I stuffed him in the hat. And when he picked out the name, this is a true story. Sure enough, the first name that came out was Jesse Itzer, the jackass did the same thing. <laughs> He's such an asshole. <laughs> So I went up there and I pitched Aunt Franny's brownies in 30 seconds into my presentation. And by the way, the tuition in American University is $40,000 a year. That's where I went. So for four years of tuition, $160,000 of my parents' money. This is literally the only thing I remember. The professor stopped me (laughs) for $160,000. He stopped me in the middle of my presentation, 30 seconds in and he said, son, I want to know what is your point of differentiation? And I was like, what does that even mean? He said, what makes your brownie <laughs> different than all the other brownies on the market? And I was like, well, they're moist and delicious. They're, they could be gluten free. They're home baked, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, no, he said, son, there's a thousand brownies that come out every year and substitute them for marketer, for restaurateur, for advertising, for lawyer, for whatever you do. There's a thousand of you that come out. And if you want to make it your brownie, whatever it is, has to be different than all the other brownies. Sit down. And he made me sit down. And I realized at that moment, like, it was a real powerful moment for me because I, I asked myself at that moment, like, and since then, as an entrepreneur, I've always asked myself, like, how am I different? You know, what makes my product stand out? How can I treat my customers differently than everybody else? Zara mentioned it early, but like, if you, if you rip up the playbook that everybody in the industry is using and you say like well how would I do it if I never was taught how to do it? That's where innovation comes from. So I always ask myself in an authentic way, you know, if you're quirky, be quirky. If you're this, be this. But what makes you different? I just remember not to belabor this point, but I remember when we started Marquee Jet, which was a private jet company that I started with my my partner. We had no aviation experience. We had no airplanes. We didn't know a lot of rich people, and we started this company that <laughs> and, and not a great formula. <laughs> For a private, but we ended up building a company that did, that did $5 billion in sales and we sold it to Warren Buffett's NetJets. And I remember sitting with our sales team and I would go in and I would listen to pitches and they would pitch the way Kenny and I, my partner and I were pitching. And I'd be like, what are you, you can't, what are you doing? Like you're a single mom. Tell, be who you are, you know, and be unique for you and be different for what you are. You can't, you're not the co-founder. So it's always been a mantra of mine to just kind of like what makes you uniquely Different. And that was a question Sarah asks all the time to, to her team and to her employees, you know. She always asks yeah. her employees, if no one taught you how to do your job, how would you do it?
2: Yeah, because we're on autopilot as human beings. I mean, think about it. Almost every single thing that we do, someone taught us how to do it or we observed how it was done. And so I like the space of closing your eyes and saying, if no one showed you how to do this, how would you do it? Like, would you be doing it differently? And, oftentimes you will and the answer or the vision comes to you and then that's a real nugget for yourself
1: yeah i would just put an asterisk next to that because you know i just ran this race and i'm a big believer in becoming the expert in the space you're going into so before I approached this race, I called everyone that I could find, anyone I could find that did this race and asked them a lot of questions. How many calories do you have to take? How many ounces of fluids do you have to take every hour? How much sodium do you need every hour? And in a very, very short amount of time, I became what I believe in my own head was an expert. And I would come in every station and say to my pit crew, I'd be like, I had one goo, half a bottle of Ractane, which was the drink that I was drinking. I had 200 calories, 70. you know, I need six 350 milligrams of soda I was very aware of it so in certain circumstances you want to become the expert and follow the advice but in others you want to stand out for what you know what what you are
0: please do not get mad at me but unfortunately we have to move to the lightning round of questions and we're about ready to wrap up and even though no one wants these two to leave okay what's happening in your life right now I'm going to Switzerland on Friday. Which sounds very a fabulous. Challenge. That sounds yeah. very exciting. Okay. How do you feel when you're in a room with Richard Branson Microsoft Giving Pledge?
2: How do I feel when I'm in the Giving Pledge room? Um, super humbled. And how did I get in this room? Pinch me. Kind of feeling. Sarah's agreed to give away half of her
0: wealth to charity. Amazing. <laughs> What would your career be if you didn't start Sphinx?
2: I mean, I'm a frustrated beautician, so <laughs> <laughs> I might have my own salon or I, I was someone who did everyone's hair for prom and I always like doing makeovers and things like that.
0: Oh, that sounds fun. Theme song
2: for your life.
1: Your speed round, sweetie. Oh,
2: gosh. Theme song for my life.
0: No, either one are you going to Mine go is...
1: Uh, Baby uh...
2: Got Back. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes! I'm Excellent in- <laughs> marketing. Excellent marketing. I'm in the butt business, okay? Wow, <laughs> that's that, good.
1: that was good. Oh, there's a song called Here I Come. It's a reggae song. That's one of my mantras, like, Here I Come. So it's this my strong. Own personal thing.
0: Nice. Okay, favorite party trick? Um,
1: <laughs> I can make people say no. I have this crazy thing I could do with you after Heather. <laughs> have you ever heard it before?
0: No. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was good. Um weird trait
2: about you. I, I,
1: <laughs> weird what?
0: A weird trait about either one of you.
2: I mean, I, this is so weird, but I can vibrate my eyes. You
1: what? Can, what? What does that
2: even mean? What did you say? I can vibrate my eyes.
1: <laughs> you learn something new all the time. We have met for 10 years. I've never seen you vibrate your eyes.
2: <laughs> I can vibrate my eyes. And the weird thing is, is um, Charlie just looked up at me and vibrated his eyes the other day. Our little boy. So apparently it's genetic.
1: I've only had fruit. Until twelve o'clock noon for 28, 29 years now, unwaveringly.
2: Fruit till noon, Fruit brother. Till
1: noon. And I didn't like that smoothie that you gave me. <laughs> it's pretty nasty. Listen.
2: Okay. Um what's your biggest pet peeve?
1: Pet peeve? Mm-hmm. Oh. I peeve. know what yours is.
0: Oh,
2: oh this wait. is like
1: the newlywake. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, you know, what do you think mine is? Well,
2: <laughs> I mean you're probably about to answer something different, but running water.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, Don't get me so- started on running water.
2: Yeah. Did anyone notice the clock is now going the opposite direction? <laughs> the what? I'm a little confused. Okay, um, uh, my pet peeve is when the windshield wipers are going more than they need to.
1: <laughs> that's
0: a fair. That's a fair one.
1: Um, believe me, I get the. Br- I mean, so we'll be driving, and Sarah'll be like, "Shut the window, put the wipers off. <laughs> my- or lower the wipers." I'm like, it's upsetting setting a- me. <laughs> Based on the wind, raise the wipers, lower the wipers. Okay, here's a good one, Sarah. Shut the wipers off.
0: <laughs> get rid your of the wipers. Ce- who is your celebrity
2: crush? Well, growing up, my celebrity crush was Gene Wilder. <laughs> and Unexpected. who I married! <laughs> I found my real-life Gene. I'm not kidding. I had a well, crush Well, guess I- what?
1: My celebrity crush was Wonder Woman. Guess who I married? Oh uh...
0: That was awesome. All right, well, we're going to wrap up. And even though we don't want to lose these two right now, but if you thought this day couldn't get any better, Sarah has something that she wants to share with everyone.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. What was it? <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yes, yeah, so listen. All you have to do, I'm going to give away some awesome Spanx products, okay? <laughs> yes, yes. And for the guys out there that are like, eh, look, you've got a wife, a daughter, a sister, a mother. They're going to love you for this. And I also happen to make man Spanx. So you can buy yourself something too, okay? Jesse, my underwear, well, not my underwear, but the underwear that I make for Spanx is his favorite <laughs> underwear. <laughs> He loves the man Spanx underwear. But anyway, I'm, I digress. So um, all you have to do is get out your phones and go to Instagram and follow at Sarah Blakely. And that's S-A-R-A without an H. At Sarah Blakely. And then in uh, the last post, which actually was his last man standing post, just put hashtag um, hypergrowth. And I'm going to pick 20 of you at random and I'm going to send you some awesome Spanx leggings and if you're a guy and you don't want leggings, you want something else. I'm happy to send that to you. But these, we have a cult following for our faux leather leggings. People love them. You'll love them. Hold
1: on. <laughs> Can I do a promotion? <laughs> yes. If you guys, you're are, gonna out promote No, I'm gonna you. Are you doing a promotion?
2: We yeah. just found out.
1: All right. <laughs> Go to my Instagram <laughs> at Jesse <laughs> Itzler. I love this. Use the same hashtag. <laughs> Come to a Hawks game with me, courtside. I'll take three people. Nah, awesome. nah, nah. <laughs> you can wear your spanks. And I'll pick three people. You'll come to a game. We'll go early. We'll go to shoot around. And uh, if we win, you get invited back.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. All right, guys. Please join me in thanking these two amazing human beings. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thank, Thank you guys so much. Thank you though. Well, you could miss it. I'm on this journey with me. Hi, I'm here to tell you about a new podcast that I am so excited about, Negotiate Your Best Life. control